we've got some version of a robust, competitive news environment in which we can hold the powerful accountable. Well, we used to, anyway. That was nice. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV 102.3. On 105.5 FM in D.C. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, as you know. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com thank you for joining us for another edition of the world famous bradcast good to have you here stop laughing des we're <laughs> just starting yes Brad, so, that's right you, you might as me. well say the me. galaxy fa- the universe famous well thank you for noticing i appreciate that that is desi doyan of course <clears throat> our former producer <laughs> Anyway, it is uh, it is election day in about one third of the nation on uh, on Tuesday. Off year elections are being held around the nation. Voters are hopefully showing up to vote in New Jersey, Virginia, Maine, New York City, Seattle, Minneapolis, Charlotte, Orlando, many other places as well. As uh, Full Frontal's Samantha B tweeted uh, t- uh, earlier today, if you're sick of feeling helpless, remember to vote on Tuesday. It's kind of like tweeting. If tweets had the power to enact real change. <laughs> She's absolutely right. If you are uh, if you had any problems voting on Tuesday, please be sure to not only let your local election officials and your Secretary of State's office know about it, but also call the National Election Protection Hotline at 866-OUR-VOTE. That's 866-OUR-VOTE. Let them know about it so it's included in the database uh, a problem reports, even if you don't hear this uh, episode of the broadcast until after Election Day. If you had problems, please let them know. It helps us uh, troubleshoot these issues. We'll have any noteworthy results and uh, reports of uh, inevitable voting problems on tomorrow's broadcast. I'm seeing a few that have been developing throughout the day, including a uh, problem up in uh, York County, Pennsylvania, where they use 100% unverifiable Sequoia touchscreen voting machines. Apparently, they misprogrammed them uh, to uh, allow extra votes. 
oh. for some candidates. Well, that's convenient. Isn't it? Uh, it's a problem is what it is. Uh, but uh, we'll have more on that uh, hopefully on our next thrilling episode. But a little secret, by the way, those unverifiable Sequoia touchscreen edge voting machines, as they call them, the ones that are used up in York, uh, York County, they already allow voters to vote as many times as they like. If they know how to press that little yellow button on the back, you can search bradblog.com for yellow button to see the warning that we issued about those very machines, those exact machines that we issued, uh, (laughs) broke that story over 10 years ago, back in 2006. My goodness. And they're still using them in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and elsewhere around the country. Also, some Virginia voters have have reportedly been getting bogus robocalls and text messages telling them that their polling station has changed. It has not changed. So, uh, problems, dirty tricks, you know, Election Day in America. Coming up on today's program, more on that tomorrow. More coming up on today's program while everyone is freaking out about Trump's every tweet and idiotic comment. His Republicanist agenda is moving forward at many federal agencies, including now at the Federal uh, Communications Commission, the FCC, where the new Republican chair is about to quietly force through a vote that will reverse decades of regulations against media consolidation. Yes, we actually still have some regulations against media consolidation. But uh, he wants to uh, he wants to do away with them in order to allow one single mega corporation, for example, the far right Sinclair Broadcast Group, to buy up every single TV station and their local newsrooms in your hometown. Or they could just do away with those local newsrooms entirely if this new rule is instated. The vote will uh, take place at the FCC in just over a week, and frankly, Democrats are pretty much doing nothing to block it or to let the public know about it. We'll speak with media reform activist Sue Wilson of the Media Action Center shortly about this maddening and dangerous, very dangerous development and what, if anything, we the people can do about it and why it is the Democrats are pretty much doing and saying nothing about it. Also coming up, uh, Green News Report and Desi Doyen. Yes. Okay, I won't fire you to the end of the show. (laughs) Uh, With news. Hey, the the White House uh, now admits that global warming is not a hoax. It's caused by man and is extremely threatening to life on Earth, which is now endangered by global warming. Is that what suffices for good news these days? I guess it does. That's what I'm going with. Yeah, (laughs) terrible news and good news all at the same time. So uh, a a special Green News Report coverage on the brand new National Climate Assessment uh, just released and approved by the White House, incredibly enough. In other news that suffices for good news in today's world, I'll take this. President Donald Trump now in South Korea amid his two-week five Asian uh, Asian nation tour says that, quote, good progress is happening on North Korea as he urges Pyongyang to, quote, come to the table and make a deal. Really? Didn't he tell his own secretary of state uh, just a, a week or two ago in a tweet that he was wasting his time by attempting diplomacy with North Korea? And that the only thing that would work with uh, North Korea was, you know, there was only one thing, 
That was military action. Why, yes, he did say that. I guess he's singing a different tune now that he's actually in South Korea. But that's okay. I'll take it. I'll tell. I'm not complaining. Trump uh, was speaking at a joint news conference in Seoul with South Korea's President Moon Jae-in. Amid rising tensions with North Korea, Trump now says, quote, it makes sense for North Korea to do the right thing. Well, yeah, it made sense before. It was always uh, made sense for them to do the right thing. It made sense for the U.S. to do the right thing and negotiate diplomatically, as the North has hoped to do for years. It's the U.S. that's been screwing up the idea of diplomacy with them. The president is not offering uh, specifics on the type of progress that he says is now being made. But Trump says it really makes sense for North Korea to come to the table and make a deal. I really believe that it makes sense for North Korea to come to the table and to make a deal that's good for the people of North Korea and the people of the world. Yeah, it's always been a good idea. Mr. President, you're the one who's been screwing it up. Uh, Trump added that I do see certain movement, but he did not offer specifics on what that movement was. Either way, I will take it. Great job, Mr. President. You certainly showed them a thing or two. Now it's time to get to the negotiating table. Well done, sir. Trump is beginning his... Uh, to, see, I'll say, I don't I, care. I know, I you're, don't care. you're following what Japan is doing. Compliment uh, the hell out yes. of him and see if you can get well, something he's so He's so great and strong and powerful <laughs> and has brought them to the table. Well done. Trump is beginning his uh, two-day Korean Peninsula visit, walking amid weapons of war but voicing optimism for peace, as AP reports. Trump has repeatedly delivered combative warnings to Pyongyang, such as threatening them with fire and fury and to completely destroy North Korea as he's urged to abandon, uh, urged them to abandon their nuclear program. But as he began his two day South Korean visit, just three dozen miles from the heavily fortified demilitarized zone between North and South Korea, he he struck a different, more hopeful tone. South Korea's president says that he and Trump are, quote, strongly urging North Korea to return to a negotiating table on its nuclear and missile programs. President Moon Jae-in said at the joint news conference with Trump on Tuesday that he and Trump agreed to apply maximum pressures and sanctions on North Korea until it returns to sincere talks on disarming its nuclear and missile program. So whatever it takes, I'll take it. Good news is hard to find these days. And thus ends the uh, good news portion of today's broadcast. Oh, goody. <laughs> sorry. Um, a, <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, so remember way back after the uh, Las Vegas massacre, way back a month ago, in which a gunman killed 58 people, shot over 500 others in a matter of moments with semi-automatic weapons that he had used a bump stock device to turn them into, for all intents and purposes, fully automatic machine guns to mow down concert goers with thousands of rounds fired in a matter of minutes. Well, right afterward, right after that, many thought that the NRA was finally seeing the light, the National Rifle Association. They had called... Uh, for a ban on those bump stock devices. But as we pointed out on this show at the time, the NRA wasn't actually calling for a new law. They were asking the ATF, the uh, Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms uh, Bureau, Bureau to, uh, to review its regulations to see if bump stocks could be banned under the current law. 
as written already. And thereafter, a number of Republicans joined Democrats to otherwise support legislation that would ban those devices. But that legislation has been forgotten pretty much. And Republicans are once again hoping that the ATF will just change their regulations a little bit. So just tweak them a little. So they don't have to vote against the use of deadly weapons in any way, shape or form and risk losing their millions of dollars of support. their tens of millions that they receive from the uh, from the terrorist enabling NRA. Well, yes, they will do anything to avoid that. No matter how many American bodies are taken down in American streets, movie theaters, malls, churches, colleges, high schools, elementary schools, take your pick. You know, just so long as these cowardly American-hating lawmakers don't have to vote against their gun lobby benefactors at the NRA. Well, watch for some similar sleight of hand now from GOP lawmakers following the Sutherland Springs, Texas church massacre on Sunday. This uh, story was just breaking during yesterday's show, and now we have a few more details on it. And I'll, I'll, I want to reveal the sleight of hand here that will will be coming again. So New York Times reports a day after a gunman massacred parishioners in a small Texas church, the Air Force admitted that it had failed to enter the man's domestic violence court martial into a federal database that could have blocked him from buying the rifle that he used to kill 26 people. Under the federal law, the conviction of the gunman for domestic assault on his wife and toddler stepson while in the Air Force, he had actually cracked the child's skull. That should have stopped him from legally purchasing these military-style uh, uh, weapons, this rifle and three other guns that he acquired in over the last four years. The uh, Air Force said in a statement the, uh, that they've launched a review of how the service handled the criminal records of the, uh, of the former airman following his 2012 domestic violence conviction. The Air Force also said that it was looking into whether other convictions had been improperly left unreported to the federal database for firearm background checks because apparently he went through those background checks, but nothing was flagged. Despite uh, his record of, uh, of uh, assaulting his wife, assaulting his child while in the military. But uh, the, the New York Times article that I'm, I'm referring to here is headlined Air Force Error Allowed Texas Gunmen to Buy Weapons. But this was not an Air Force Error, New York Times. This was apparently U.S. military policy. Alex Yablon uh, at The Trace, which is a nonpartisan, nonprofit journalism site covering America's gun violence epidemic, reports that a year before committing Sunday's mass shooting at a tight-knit church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, Devin Kelly, the shooter, walked into a sporting goods store, bought a Ruger assault-style rifle that he should have been banned from owning because of his history of domestic violence. Um, why was he able to make those purchases? Well, uh, Yablon reports that while enlisted in the Air Force, Kelly was convicted by a court-martial of these charges stemming from this assault on his then-wife and young child. The offense was the equivalent of the civilian crime of misdemeanor domestic assault, which is one of 12 categories that automatically bar someone from, uh, from legal gun possession. But the military has no distinct charge for domestic violence. 
That, according to uh, the former judge advocate general who now practices military law as a civilian, guy's name is Grover Baxley, he says, we see this all the time. There's no specific domestic violence article. Instead, military prosecutors charge abusers with other offenses like assault. So apparently assault will not keep you from getting a gun, uh, whereas domestic violence would. Yablon did a uh, scan of the active records uh, showing that the Defense Department has just a single misdemeanor conviction for domestic violence on file in the National Crime Instant Background Check System, or NICS. Uh, he includes a chart in his report. He says the data also shows that the military has currently re- submitted zero records for members subject to domestic violence restraining orders, which Kelly also uh, later reportedly received from a civilian court in Colorado. The uh, So they have zero. Let's see. They've got one one episode of domestic abuse listed in these uh, charts. So this is not an error. This is not just the Air Force doing this. This is all of the military doing this. They will list you if you got a dishonorable discharge and then you can't get a gun, but if you got a discharge as this guy did on bad conduct, you will not be listed here. If you had uh, assaulted your wife, if you have assaulted your child, you will not be listed here. You will not be kept from buying a gun. Uh, so there's only one listed here. I mean, uh, Yablon finds that, you know, other states with populations that are in line with the military's 1.2 million uh, service members uh, ha- that, that, you know, states that have similar numbers have, for example, New Hampshire. They have almost 14,000 records of such convictions that would keep people from buying these weapons. Wow. But the military was only able to come up with one. Uh, records of misdemeanor domestic violence also can wind up in a separate database that Yablon says he's still looking into. Uh, but in any event, if the FBI examiners don't come back with a, a yay or a nay within three business days under current law, then the gun sale has to go through. Now, you can imagine how many thousands and thousands of gun sales go on every day in this country, and the FBI has to check everyone out, and if they can't get back within three days, you get your gun. Period. Uh, when, uh, When Kelly was kicked out of the Air Force in 2014 because of that bad conduct discharge, Uh, It did not initiate a gun ban. But as I say, this was not an error. It is the policy. And the New York Times and others have been reporting it as an error. Uh, They don't report, you know, domestic abuse as they should to the instant background check. At best, they report assaults. So, uh, you know, you can uh, you can also, by the way, buy these guns online without a gun, uh, without a background check or at gun shows, thanks to the background check loophole that Republicans in Congress refuse to close. So watch for members of Congress to express outrage that the military doesn't report these matters to the National Background Check database and then for those same Republicans, including Donald Trump, to then declare victory after the military is forced correctly to change their policy. But they'll, you know, say victory. We solved the problem that led to the massacre in Texas. Well, even that scam will be to avoid taking real action because 
The, the killer's uh, run-ins with the law while in the military were not the only red flags that should have prevented the guy from buying deadly weapons, even if it certainly should have been enough to do so. AP is reporting today that a few months before he received the bad conduct discharge, sheriff's deputies, civilian sheriff's deputies, went to his home to check out domestic violence complaints. Also in 2014, well after his discharge from the military, he was charged with misdemeanor animal cruelty in Colorado after uh, a neighbor reported him for beating a dog. He had to pay some $370 in restitution for that incident, and he was the focus of a protective order in Colorado in 2015. So it seems like any and all of these things should have ended up as red flags, of some type in our national background check, but they did not. But even that is not all. This uh, this guy who killed 26 people in Texas apparently also escaped from a psychiatric hospital while he was in the Air Force after making death threats against his superiors and trying to smuggle weapons onto the base where he was stationed. That, according to a police report from 2012, a non-military police report. So none of these things, assaulting his wife, his child, spending a year in a military brig, beating up a dog, being charged for it, having a restraining order filed in court against him, uh, police calls to his house for domestic abuse uh, disputes, Escaping from a psychiatric ward, threatening to kill his commanding officers, attempting to smuggle weapons onto a military base. None of these things set off any red flags that prevented him from being able to buy four different deadly weapons and hundreds of rounds of ammo. None of them? Really? This guy uh, also had 15 high-capacity magazines. He was said to have fired 450 rounds inside this church. None of this set off any red flags, really? I got to get to my guest here. I'm running late. Uh, well, I, I'm sure we will come back to this. But, you know, if, you know, between uh, Texas and Las Vegas... Uh, and, oh, by the way, eight people were slaughtered by an angry ex-husband on a Sunday football game near Dallas just a few weeks ago. Then there was the shooting at Walmart just last week. Uh, in all, about 100 Americans were killed and over 600 were shot in just those four incidents. If that was four Islamic terror incidents over the past two months in America, you'd think that our actions taken by our president and Republican lawmakers might look any different by now. But, you know, terrorism by non-Muslims is apparently no problem. These were all white dudes. That's just the price of freedom in the good old U.S. of A., apparently. All right, speaking of the price of freedom, when re remember when re Republicans used to pretend to care about competition? Well, those days apparently are over. While all of this is going on, while Trump's overseas, the nation is again fighting its losing battle with the NRA. Republicans are quietly working to gut all competition, what little there is left in our nation's local TV and radio and newspaper media. And nobody is talking about it at all. We will, right after this break, with Sue Wilson of the Media Action Center. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. We really need your support now more than ever. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. 
We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Hi, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Speaking before he uh, left the country for his 13-day trip to Asia, Donald Trump offered this note to journalists before a cabinet meeting. I think this was the day before he left the country. Go ahead and play that. While I'm in Asia, members of my cabinet will be traveling all around the country, talking directly to taxpayers and focusing on the regional media which we find to be a much more credible media, to be honest with you. In fact, I found it to be incredible how good they are. Focusing on regional media. Now, that comment, that remark, did not get much notice from the, uh, from the national media who were uh, covering uh, uh, Trump's comments before that cabinet meeting. But uh, the media, national or otherwise, sure should have noticed what he was saying there. According to a press release from FreePress.net, at a House oversight hearing late last month, Federal Communications Commission Chairman Ajit Pai announced plans to obliterate longstanding media ownership rules, including limits on how many stations one company can own in a single market and a longstanding ban on newspapers owning stations in the same market. Chairman Pai, a Republican appointee to the FCC, has close ties to the far right-wing Sinclair Broadcast Group, according to this statement. Uh, their proposed $3.9 billion merger with Tribune Media is now being reviewed by government agencies, including the Justice Department and the FCC. Should regulators approve the deal, the resulting broadcast giant would control more than 233 local TV stations, reaching 72% of the country's population, far in excess of congressional and FCC limits on national and local media ownership, at least as they exist today. The FCC's limits to Sinclair's potential size are the same rules that Chairman Pai is now seeking to undo. Now, uh, to be clear, Sinclair Broadcasting is arguably even farther to the right than Fox News. Worse, they take over ownership of local uh, stations whose news networks people tend to trust more than the national outlets, and then they force them to run must-carry right-wing segments produced by their national headquarters and featuring such luminaries as, you know, former Donald Trump campaign advisors. Little wonder Donald Trump said uh, that uh, the, the regional media is so much better than, the, uh, than that national media. Well, of course they are because they're able to even go farther to the right than Fox News is. FreePress.net President and CEO Craig Aaron said in a statement following Pi's announced intention to change the decades-long uh, limits on corporate ownership of TV stations all across the country. He said Ajit Pai's disastrous proposal is tailor-made for Sinclair and other giant broadcast chains that push often slanted or cookie-cutter content over the public airwaves. Yes, they are our public airwaves. At least they used to be. Aaron says he's fulfilling a long-standing industry wish list and ignoring how decades of runaway media consolidation have significantly harmed local news and independent voices. 
We need to strengthen local voices and increase viewpoint diversity, he said, not surrender our airwaves to an ever smaller group of giant conglomerates. Pi is clearly committed to doing the bidding of companies like Sinclair and clearing any obstacles to their voracious expansion. Incredibly, uh, that announcement was made uh, just a week or two ago, and the FCC commissioners themselves will now be voting on this proposal in about a week or so, on November 16th, I believe. Here to discuss this mess, what it means, and uh, what hopefully, if anything, can be done to counter it is our friend Sue Wilson. She's an Emmy and AP award-winning broadcast journalist turned media reform activist. She's also director of the Media Reform Documentary Broadcast Blues and founder of Media Action Center. Sue Wilson, welcome back to the broadcast. Boy, Brad, I tell you, it's a bad thing that I have to be here to talk about this topic. We thought we'd won this topic, but thanks for having me. Well, yeah, I... I know that uh, this came up bef- has come up before in the past or something similar, and I believe the courts turned it back at that time, so it's uh, kind of incredible that it's coming up again. But before we get to the details on that, as I understand it, the FCC, just to be clear, the FCC is supposedly an independent agency, correct? Unlike the EPA or the state or the Interior Department, it's not directly controlled by the White House. Am I right about that? Well, it is controlled by the White House in that the White House gets to choose all five of the commissioners who sit on the FCC, the Federal Communication Commission. And traditionally, if a Republican president is in charge, they will get three Republicans versus two Democrats to be on that commission. Therefore, they do control the vote. And what we're seeing right now is what we're seeing across the Trump administration at large where they are using their power behind the scenes without legislation to derail all of the rules and regulations that we have in place to protect the we the people. Mm. So how is it even possible? Uh, Republican-controlled Federal Communications Commission will vote November 16th to allow just one corporation to own the local newspaper plus every commercial TV station in a single town. How is that even possible? How is it that this vote is is coming up in just over a week or so? And uh, frankly, I've seen or heard virtually nothing about it in the national media or even on my local news stations. I guess there's two questions there, but I'll give you the floor, Sue. Well, first, you know, I want to reiterate what you just said so the audience really gets what this is about. Because we can talk about Sinclair Broadcasting, and yes, this is going to give uh, a bigger platform to them. But the, the real threat here is just imagine one corporate owner owns every TV station and the newspaper and the radio stations in your town. One owner, one newsroom, shoving whatever they want you to know down your throat and no other viewpoints, no other facts will be allowed. That's what we're really talking about here. And quite frankly... Brad, this is something that Republicans on the Federal Communication Commission have been lobbying for for years, and they have tried this underhanded technique in the past where they don't take any public comment. They just put this out for a vote. It's very clear how the vote's going to go. It's going to go through. They're going to vote to allow one corporation to own every single TV, radio, and television station in one town. That's what they're going to vote for. Uh, what happened in the past, however, 
is that so many people found out about this that 3 million people reached out to the FCC and said, no, stop this madness. This time, here, here you know, we are just days ahead of mm-hmm. this vote, and as you pointed out, you have seen nothing, nothing. about this anywhere. Uh, so, so this is a matter of sounding the alarm. This is Paul Revere running, you know, racing through the towns saying, get up, stand up, and fight right now. Now, I, it, it, there's no question that when, and this is a when, when mm-hmm. the FCC votes to approve this, there will be lawsuits that will be filed by free press and potentially others to stop this. But really, at, at core, without any public outcry, yeah. they're just going to say, well, the public doesn't care, so yeah. who cares? We'll just let it go through. And as I recall, last time they did this, and it was under uh, Chairman Powell at the time, um, uh, Colin Powell's uh, son, who was appointed by... George W. Bush, as I recall at the time, that was challenged in court. I believe they lost because uh, didn't the courts determine that, in fact, uh, not only did the FCC do no studies to determine what harm this would have on uh, minority ownership, uh, ownership by women, people of color, and so forth, but didn't they also weren't they also able to cite during that court case all of the public comments that had come in against this proposal, which the FCC then went and uh, d- voted in favor of anyway? There's yeah, th- yeah, and there's no question that the public comments you know made a huge, huge difference because these are our publicly owned airwaves, and so the. Th- unquestionably, you know, getting people behind this mm-hmm. is huge. But here, here's what I want to share in terms of their, their technique today. Mm-hmm. Um, what they've done is put out some limited studies in terms of uh, how many people are watching television, local television news, mm-hmm. versus how many people are, are accessing news on the Internet. The problem is, is when you really look at these studies, what you find is that significant millions and 50 million plus people are watching local television news. Mm-hmm. I'm sure many of in your audience do that as well. Now, I'm sure many in your audience also access news online. The question is, where does that news come from? If you see a news piece online, was it written by the New York Times? Was it written by NBC News? Or was it written by an independent online journalist, Mm -hmm. such as Brad Friedman? Mm. And when you look at the studies that the FCC is citing, if you really look at the data, what they're saying is about 23 million people now are accessing news online. However, of those 23 million people, they may visit one of these online journalistic sites Mm -hmm. once a month, for an average of 2.4 minutes. So compare that to your typical local news viewer who switches on TV at 5 o'clock while he or she is, you know, cooking dinner Mm -hmm. and watching an entire half-hour news program to get a good sense of what's going on both in the local community and somewhat in the national community. But this really has to do with local community stuff. The... Ajit Pai had tweeted uh, recently, he's the FCC chair, that among Americans aged 18 to 29, online streaming is the primary means of watching TV. 
But uh, you cite Sue Wilson in August 2017 Pew study finding that, uh, sure, there may be 23 million who access digitally produced news, but 52 million people still watch local TV news. I, I, I mean, I even if the numbers, I don't, you know, I can't, I don't have any way to check these numbers, but even if the, uh, the number of people who watch, you know, digitally produced news online was far higher, you still have 52 million people who watch uh, local TV news who are going to be affected by this. I mean... Are, are they trying to make the case that, oh, well, you know what? Local TV no longer matters. People just can get their uh, news from anywhere online. So it doesn't really matter who owns the local stations. Is that the argument that uh, uh, Chairman Pai is trying to make here? I think it is the argument. And, and, and I think that, that most of us understand that local TV news, and, and don't forget, now we're talking about the local TV news and the newspaper being owned mm-hmm. by the same company okay Mm -hmm. so you know we're really talking about is one group having complete control over everything that you are told over the public airways and that will decimate the real reporting that goes on because when we look at your legacy media you know we call legacy media the newspapers and broadcast television all right Mm -hmm. those are the the newsrooms that hire real reporters, that do the real reporting, that go out and beat the streets and find out what's happening at City Hall or in the State House or at the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, these are very well-funded news organizations. They like to compete with each other, which offers we the people a much broader spectrum of information that we can access. And, and if we look at, think for a moment at the tragedies that we have had recently, and I'm really talking about... Mm-hmm the global warming-style hurricanes and Mm -hmm. fires, it is the local television media that usually is there to show up. Radio used to be there to show up, but now they've pretty much decimated radio. Radio is, you know, right-wing radio all throughout the country, Mm -hmm. which is their goal. Their goal is to take the radio model, the model which is 90 8% 8% of all information that you get on the news talk stations is right-wing. You don't get any kind of a pushback, okay? Right. Yeah. They want to do that on the local level, which is, you know, sound these fire alarms now because the house is burning and they don't want you to know it. No, they don't. And, you know, as you're, as you're talking, Sue, it occurs to me when you're talking about the cross-ownership of newspaper uh, and and television station, you, it, you know, it used to be that uh, the newspapers might get something wrong and a TV station might call them out for it or a TV station might get something uh, wrong and uh, the, the local newspapers will call them out for it. Well, if they're both owned by the same company... It seems unlikely there's going to be that sort of uh, that that sort of back and forth and competition of information itself, much less competition of of companies. But you also said you mentioned radio. You're right. A very similar thing has already happened uh, to radio station ownership across the country. And, uh, you know, it should be obvious what has happened there, uh, at least politically. I mean, good luck finding non-corporatist right-wing talk radio uh, anything but non but corporatist uh, right-wing talk radio over your public airwaves in most markets you also offered a very real example of of very real dangers of 
that sort of national ownership of local stations in your uh, in your docu- documentary film some years ago, Broadcast Blues, when it came to the takeover of of uh, of local radio stations by Clear Channel, which is now called iHeart Media. Tell tell us about that story. You you told a, a disturbing story about a town up in uh, what was it North North Dakota? Yep, Minot, North Dakota, and. I mean, think about this, folks. Just think about, could this happen to you? It was the middle of the night. It was January in Minot, and it was below zero when a train derailed and spilled anhydrous ammonia. The anhydrous ammonia started wafting throughout the entire community. Uh, Instantly, the police were getting 911 calls, Mm -hmm. and people were complaining. And they said, tune in your emergency broadcaster. Uh, they will be telling you exactly what you need to do. The trouble was, Clear Channel had bought all of eight of the local radio stations in Minot. They owned all of these stations. And there was nobody there at the radio station to take a call to be able to get this information out to the public. Because in real life, all of that programming is coming out of Texas. Mm-hmm. All right? Yeah. They didn't really have a programmer there for eight local radio stations. Once upon a time, somebody in town would have picked up the phone and called the, the owner of the station and said, get out of bed and get to the station. We need you there. Yeah. But there's nobody to call. So as a result, people did not know what they were supposed to do. One person died. Hundreds of people were injured as a result of just simply not being able to get information off of their local emergency broadcast station. Because the FCC had allowed them all, and actually Bill Clinton had uh, allowed them all uh, via the Telecommunications Act of 1996, had allowed the, the, all of those stations, those local stations, to be, buyed up, uh, to be uh, bought up by national companies. Uh, so that he lifted uh, many of that uh, of those radio ownership rules with the Telecommunications Act. Again, that was Bill Clinton, a Democrat. Uh, and uh, you sent me an interesting statistic uh, over the weekend via uh, email. So, sixty million people listen to right-wing talk radio. Uh, that's about the same number that voted for Donald Trump. Uh, coincidence? Are you suggesting? You I, I I don't I don't know. I mean, I think I believe the Democrats uh, and public advocacy advocacy groups, even those like FreePress.net, continue to underestimate the importance of talk radio and reaching those millions of Americans each day for free, going to and from work each day for free in their cars, and the brainwashing that comes with it, with 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 you know virtually zero rebuttal to the lies and the propaganda that is offered by right-wing talk radio. Um, A, do you agree? And B, what explains this failure by Democrats and even many of these progressive public advocacy groups to, uh, to, to, to be raising holy hell about this? Why is it left to people like you and me, Sue? Okay, first question first. Uh, make no mistake, the right-wing in this country is doing this on purpose. They started doing this to us decades ago, really started doing this in earnest during the Ronald Reagan administration when they took away what was called the Fairness Doctrine, Mm -hmm. which provided that if you're going to have a really controversial issue discussed on the air, you had to discuss both sides of that issue. 
they didn't want to have that. They wanted to have full control of one message that could go out, that they could brainwash people, that they create mind control in this country. And I'm just going to fast forward to today where you keep hearing about fake news. Where do you think this started? When you take away people's ability to talk about an issue from various sides and come to an understanding, when you take that away, what do you expect? You, you know, What we're getting right now, that's what we should have mm-hmm. been expecting. That's what yeah. I've been screaming about since 1996 when yeah. we did this to radio. Yeah. Now, but your second question, Brad, where are the Democrats on this? They are brainwashed that Fox News is the boogeyman, and Fox News gets, you know, two to three million viewers. That's chump change. It's talk radio yep. that is the driver of all of our problems in this country. Yep. All of them. Yep. They all stem from talk radio. Now, you know, fast forward into modern times where we've got the Internet, and you have Breitbart, and you have... Infowars, and you have you know various groups mm-hmm. online that are again purposely deceiving people in order to achieve political ends. That's what this is, and that's what this new bill is, or not a bill. Okay, this is a rule. Now let me make a, a, a good distinction, mm-hmm. and maybe get people starting to call those congressmen and go, wait a minute, mm-hmm. you need to k- take care of this. The Federal Communications Commission does not make laws in this land. The Federal Communications Commission makes rules in order to make the laws that Congress has passed... To enforce the laws that Congress has passed. To enforce them, and and in order to create the rules to make them work. Okay? Mm -hmm. And and so we look at the power of the FCC, and indeed, it is really limited. And the FCC has told me many times that fairness, doctrine, consolidation, you need an act of Congress. So your question, where are the Democrats? We need to start calling the Democrats now. We need to start saying, wake up to what has happened and will continue to happen. If we don't stop this train now, Brad, if we don't stop this train, America, this train's going to leave the station, and we're going to look back in 10 years and go, whoa, what happened? We can't get a word in edgewise. This is an authoritarian state, and it's being created by the control of the media, by one political party with the other political party sticking its head in the sand and saying, oh, well, we don't know what to do about it. Yeah, I, you know, I feel like I talked to you uh, many years ago where you said the same thing, where you warned the same thing, Sue Wilson. We have to start doing something about this now or we won't know what hit us. Well, I think there's a lot of people, a lot of Democrats running around right now wondering what hit them and i think they need to you know look no further frankly than the media consolidation the right-wing media not just fox news but all over our public airwaves uh when it comes to radio and now soon when it comes to tv sue wilson i've got just a minute here or so here uh you you say there's no comment period before uh, this vote on november 16 if so what can listeners do to try to fight back against this at this point well they have not put out a formal comment period but that does not mean that we the people can't stand up and start shouting okay i put on the mediaactioncenter.net website a list of things to do, and they're very simple. You don't even need to go there to do them. A, you can call and write the FCC commissioners. I've put the links to each of the five names there. Secondly, you can call and write your congresspeople and say, stop this immediately. <laughs> this, is the, this is the worst thing 
that the Trump administration has done. Mm. Of all of the things, this is the worst. It will have the worst ramifications. And third, uh, Free Press has promised that they will sue to stop this. They're going to need some help. They're going to need some financing. This is, you know, it's not free mm-hmm. to be able to do this kind of stuff. I put a link on the website on MediaActionCenter.net to the Free Press petition, which will, you know, show your support, and it'll also put you on their email list so that you will get updates and find ways that you'll be able to help in this battle. All of those links are uh, right uh, smack dab at the top of MediaActionCenter.net. I'll also include them at uh, bradblog.com. You can also find uh, Sue Wilson on the Twitters at Sue Blues Wilson. Is that what it is, Sue? Do I have it right? Yep. Okay, Sue Blues Wilson. But stop by MediaActionCenter.net. Get information. Take action. Don't wait again until after it's too late. Sue Wilson, always great talking to you, and uh, please uh, stay in touch as this moves forward and as this vote comes up on November 16th. Thank you. Thank you, Brad, for what you do. You are a patriot. You're awesome to say so, uh, as are you. Sue's op-ed on this entire mess is now running as of today at the uh, Sacramento Bee. That's nice. Some media is covering this. Her piece is headlined, Fake news is only the beginning. The FCC is about to let monopolies decide what local news you see. We'll link to that story from uh, bradblog.com when we post the show uh, tonight. Please share it along with today's show uh, all around. As always, it'll be posted at bradblog.com, and you can share it via Twitter and Facebook, where I am simply the Brad blog. Okay, quick break. And we're back with the Green News Report and Desi Doyen. This is your Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Well, we've got a fascinating update (laughs) that came in today, uh, not in time for our uh, Green News report. So uh, let's get to let's get to that. And then we'll give you this update because it's kind of amazing or amusing, depending on how you might look at it. But first, our latest Green News report. Now a new climate report supports what scientists have said for years. The climate is changing. Temperatures and sea levels are rising. Green News report special coverage. The comprehensive national climate assessment is out with dire warnings on the impacts of climate change and hope that governments can act to reduce emissions. Climate change is happening faster than we thought in some ways. It seems societally that maybe we're more vulnerable than we thought. All of that fantastic news and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. If we can't talk about climate change, I guess it's finally time to have that gun control conversation we've been putting off, right? Uh, this is your... Green News Report. Maybe 
there is a hurricane made of guns, we'll finally get to have both of those talks. Okay, Desi Doyen, after the president of the United States and all of his minions telling us that climate change doesn't really exist, the White House has now signed off on a report that finds that climate change exists and it's dire? What? (laughs) Yes, it is true. The White House did not interfere with the publication of the fourth National Climate Assessment that was released on Friday. It's congressionally mandated, a peer review report that comes out every four years, authored by hundreds of experts and scientists from 13 federal agencies, along with outside contributors. The report, as you mentioned, does indeed directly contradict the Trump administration's position on climate science. And they signed off on it anyway. Yes, they did. Okay. It's a dire assessment of the impact of climate change on the U.S. both today and in the future. The report explicitly states that if governments don't meet the emissions reductions targets that they have agreed to in the Paris Climate Agreement, and if we go beyond those emissions targets, then catastrophic impacts would be inevitable. The report's conclusions are not surprising, but they are grim. We are now living in the warmest period ever recorded in modern civilization. The scientists conclude that human activities, especially the emissions of greenhouse gases, are the primary cause of all of the warming observed since the 1950s. And there is, quote, no convincing alternative explanation that anything other than human activity is to blame for this unambiguous rise in temperatures. Everything from the cars we drive to the power plants we operate to the forests we destroy. The report notes that climate change impacts are already here, and that's with just a small increase in warming, and they're already creating more frequent extremes. Extreme rainfall events have increased. Higher temperatures are contributing to the rise in catastrophic wildfires and more frequent extreme heat waves. Warmer oceans are increasing sea levels and boosting damaging storm surge and flood events. Coastal cities in the U.S. are seeing five times as frequent coastal flooding as they did 50 years ago. Wow, this does sound dire, though it sounds a hell of a lot like all of your Green News reports over the last nine years. Yes, well, thank you for noticing. (laughs) The ocean absorbs about a third of humanity's carbon emissions, and that is altering its chemistry. The report finds that the rate of ocean acidification today is unmatched in at least 66 million years, Mm. and that it is already harming the U.S. shellfish industry and marine life at the base of the ocean food chain. Now, looking ahead, the real kicker in the report is the unknowns. The report says there is, quote, significant potential for unanticipated surprises. Things like compound events, multiple extreme climate events that occur simultaneously or in quick succession and overwhelm our society's ability to respond. You mean like Hurricane Harvey, followed by Irma, followed by Maria, followed by wildfires out here in California? Exactly. Ah. And they're also warning about tipping points where we push the climate system past some threshold or trigger self-reinforcing feedback loops that lead to even larger impacts, some of which may be abrupt and irreversible. Now, some impacts are baked in and unavoidable, according to the report, because of our failure to cut carbon emissions fast enough. We are locked into additional warming and extreme weather events and a lot of sea level rise, potentially as much as three to eight feet by the end of the century. However, and this is important, all of the impacts over the next few decades and beyond depend entirely on the total amount of greenhouse gases we 
release globally. In an interview with PBS NewsHour, co-author of the report, Dr. Radley Horton of Columbia University, noted that because of the rapid growth of renewable energy worldwide and actions that nations are already taking, the window of opportunity is still open. If we rapidly reduce our emissions, we're still going to get some more warming, but we can avoid those worst case trajectories and we can minimize the risk of what we call surprises that could lead to outcomes that are even worse than what the climate models have been telling us. If we reduce emissions, we reduce the risk of those kind of surprises. So basically, because we caused it, we can also solve it. That's optimistic. Have you seen us solve anything lately? For much more on that story and all of those that we couldn't get to thanks to the National Climate Assessment, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Trouble ahead, trouble behind. Thank you very much, Desiree, yes. for that excellent special coverage. Uh, this from AP today, not in time for a Green News report. We wouldn't have room for it anyway, I suspect. But, <laughs> well, uh, yes. A Syrian official says the war-ravaged country now plans to sign the Paris Climate Accord after all. Yep, and then there was one. Yes, until now, they had been the only United Nations member not to have signed on to the Paris uh, Agreement. The move announced Tuesday was at a global climate meeting in Bonn, Germany. It means the U.S. is now the sole U.N. member country outside of the deal, at least if Donald Trump makes good on his threat to pull out. The U.S. ratified the 2015 Paris Agreement. Uh, aimed at limiting global warming to uh, under two degrees Celsius or uh, three and a half degrees Fahrenheit before Trump took office. But the Trump administration has since informed the U.N. that the U.S. is pulling out of that pact, which now means that uh, we are every country in the world except for the U.S., is now in the Paris Climate Agreement. It was it had been just Syria, uh, Syria and Nicaragua. They were the other nation that uh, had not yet signed on because they felt it didn't go far enough. They eventually came around. Now Syria came around. And now uh, the U.S. is the odd man out. The U.S. is the rogue nation. Yep, from, we certainly are. From climate leader to climate pariah From in climate one year. leader to climate loser. How's <laughs> there that? There you go. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. My thanks as well, of course, to Sue Wilson from MediaActionCenter.net and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can, as ever, download it for free at bradblog.com. Sharing it far and wide is more important than ever with uh, all the uh, corporate media about to be consolidated into just one guy. Um, so uh, you can uh, share our reports anytime via Twitter and the Facebooks, where I am simply the Brad Blog. Drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. And thanks to those of you who help keep us going every day here by stopping by Bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. All right. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.